Chapter 13 of Our Master Thoughts for Salvationists About Their Lord. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Pyle. Our Master Thoughts for Salvationists About Their Lord by Bramwell Booth. Chapter 13 In Unexpected Places. And while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near, and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Luke, chapter 24, verses 15 and 16. 1. The Knife Grinder The only person in the house, except for the man and his wife, was a young domestic servant, a soldier of the Salvation Army. Her employers were generally drinking, when they were not asleep and the drinking led to the most dreadful quarreling. Disgusting orgies of one kind or another were of almost daily occurrence, and such. Visitors as came to the house only added fuel to the fiery furnace of passion and frenzy through which the girl was called to walk. Since that happy Sunday afternoon two years ago when she gave herself to God in the wholesome village from which she came, the meetings and the opportunity given her by the army of doing some work for other souls had been a bright light in her life, Little by little religion had come to have for her something of the same meaning it had for St. Paul, though I fear she knew very little of St. Paul, or of the great and wise things he wrote. Domestic service is seldom favorable to the study of the scriptures. But the same spirit which led the great apostle to confer not with flesh and blood, and which took him into Arabia before he went to Jerusalem, was leading this quiet country maiden to see that to be a follower of Christ means something more than to win a fleeting happiness in this life and a kind of pension in the next. She was beginning to understand that to be really Christ's means also to be a Christ, that to be his one must seek for the lost sheep for whom he died. And so Rhoda, I call her Rhoda, though that was not her name, when she found to what sort of people she had, in her ignorance of the great city, engaged herself, had set to work to seek their salvation. Many very good people would probably think, that she would have been a wiser girl to have gone elsewhere, that the risks of such a position were very great, and so on. No doubt. But the light of a great truth was rising in Rhoda's heart and mind. She perceived in her very danger an opportunity to prove her love for her Savior by risking something for the souls of those two besotted creatures for whom she dared to think he really died. And so, day after day, she toiled for them. Night after night she prayed for them, and in her sober moments the wreck of a woman her mistress wept loud in her slobbering way and talked of the days long long ago when she too believed in the things that are good the first flush of novelty in the sense of doing an unselfish thing for god wore away and presently rhoda's real trial began the drinking and fighting grew worse and the difficulty of getting out to a meeting grew greater gradually the weary body robbed the struggling soul of its time to pray and worst of all, by slow degrees, Rhoda's faith was shaken, for her prayers, her agonizing prayers, on behalf of those dark souls, were only too manifestly not answered. Was it worth while, after all, troubling about sinners? Was it her affair? Why should she care? Of what use could it be to become an officer, in order to seek the many, if God did not hearken to her cry for the few? One day the captain of the corps, to which Rhoda belonged, called, and seemed grieved with her for neglecting the meetings. This was a heavy blow. She could not or would not explain, 
and when that night, in the midst of a drunken brawl, her master struck her in the face, heart and flesh both failed, and she determined to say no more about salvation, and to abandon all profession of religion. That night seemed long and dark, and when at last sleep came, the pillow was wet with tears of anguish, of anger, and of pride. Scissors to mend, to mend, to mend. The monotonous calls of London hawkers are a strange mixture of sounds. At one moment attractive, at another repelling. They are, perhaps, more like the cry of a bird in distress than anything else. Rhoda looked at her woodchopper as the knife grinder came nearer to the house, and as he passed beckoned him and gave it to him. She made no remark. He was rough and grimy, and his torn coat gave him an appearance of misery, which his face rather belied. She was miserable enough and made no reply to his cheery good morning. Presently the axe was sharpened, and the man brought it to the door. She paid him. Thank you, he said, and then, with kindly abruptness, Excuse me, but I see you have been crying. Do you ever pray? And, after a silence, God answers prayer, though he may not do it our way. He did it for me. I was a drunkard, but my mother's prayers are answered now, and I belong to the Salvation Army. Do you know any of them? Oh, they just live by prayer. Rhoda stood in silence, listening to the strange man, till she ceased to hear him, and looking at him till she ceased to see him. Another presence and another voice was there. It was the Christ. Rhoda was delivered. She is still fighting for souls, and loves most to do it where Satan's seat is. But the knife-grinder never knew. 2. A Kiss the heat and smell in the narrow slum were worse than usual. A hot Saturday night in midsummer is a bad time in the slums, and worse in the slum public houses. It was so on the night I speak of. In and out of the suffocating bar the dirty stream of humanity came and went. Men who had ceased long ago to be anything but beasts. Women with tiny white children in their bony arms. Boys and girls sipping the naphtha of perdition, and talking the talk of fools. Lewd and foul-mouthed women of the streets all hustled and jostled one another, and sang and swore and bandied horrid words with the barmen. And all the while they drank and drank and drank. The atmosphere grew thicker and thicker with the dust and tobacco smoke, and little by little the flaming gas-jets burn up the oxygen till by midnight the place was all but unendurable. Among the last to go was a woman of the town, who betook herself with a bottle of whiskey to a low lodging-house hard by. There she drank and quarreled with such vehemence that in the early hours of the morning the deputy, as the guardian of order is called in these houses, picked her up and threw her into the gutter outside. There, amid the garbage from the costermongers' barrows and the refuse of the town, this remnant of a ruined woman lay in a half-drunken doze until the golden sunlight mounted over the city houses and pierced the sultry gloom on the Sabbath morning. Another woman chanced that way, young, beautiful, alike in form and spirit, and touched with the far-offness of many who walk with Christ. She hastened to the early Sunday morning service, there to join her prayers with others, seeking strength to win the souls of men. "'What is that?' she asked her friend as they passed. "'That,' replied the other, "'is a drunken woman, unclean and outcast.' In a moment the Salvationist knelt upon the stones, and kissed the battered face of the poor wanderer. "'Who is that? What did you do?' said the Magdalene. "'Why did you kiss me? Nobody ever kissed me since my mother died.' It was the Christ. That kiss won a heart to him.
3. A Promotion Henry James was coming rapidly in his employer's favor. Thoughtful, obliging, attentive to details, anxious to please, and above all, thoroughly reliable in word and deed, he was a first-class servant, an exemplary salvationist. In the corps to which he belonged, he stood high in the esteem both of the local officers and the soldiers, and there was no more welcome speaker in the open air or more successful fisher in the sinners' meetings than young James. The question of his future was beginning to occupy a good deal of attention. Ought he to offer himself for officership in the army? He was very far from decided either one way or the other, when one evening at the close of business his master sent for him. He expressed his pleasure at the progress James was making, and offered him a greatly improved position, the managership of a branch establishment, with certain privileges as to hours, an immediate and considerable advance in salary, and the prospect of a still more profitable position in the future. There was really only one condition required of him. He must live in premises adjoining the new venture, and he must not come to and fro in the uniform of the army. His employers had a high esteem for the Salvation Army, it was a noble work, and their opinion of it had risen since they had employed one or two of its soldiers. But business was business, and the uniform going in and out would not help business, and so forth. The young man hesitated, and, to the senior partner's surprise, asked for a week to consider. During the week there were consultations with almost everyone he knew. The majority of his own friends said decidedly, accept. A few salvationists of the weaker sort said, yes, take it, you will in the end be able to do more for God and give the army more time, more money, more influence. On the other hand, the captain and the older local officers answered, No, it is a compromise of principle. The uniform is only the symbol of out-and-out -out testimony for Christ. You put it on in holy covenant with Him. You cannot take it off, especially for your own advantage, without breaking that covenant. Don't. James promised himself, quite sincerely, no doubt, that it should not be so with him, and on the appointed day informed the firm that he accepted their proposal. The new enterprise was a success. Everything turned out better than was expected. At the end of six months, the new manager received a cordial letter of thanks from the firm and a hint of further developments. But Henry James was an unhappy man. He had gained so much that he was always asking himself how it came about that he seemed to have lost so much more. Position, prospects, opportunity, money, these were all enhanced. And yet he went everywhere with a sense of loss burdened with the consciousness of having parted with more than he had received in return. As a man of business, the impression at first took the form of a business estimate in his mind. Yes, that was it. He had secured a high, a very high, price that evening in the counting-house when the partners waited for his answer. He had parted with something he had, in fact, sold something. It was the Christ. It proved a ruinous transaction. End of chapter 13. Recording by Chris Pyle.